this morning, most of us woke up and we made a couple of decisions. What am I going to wear? What shirt? What blouse? What dress? What color pants? Does this tie match? Do these shoes match? Do these shoes look good enough for church? Some of you may have made some decisions about, am I going to eat this or that? Sitting in the potluck line when there's an abundance of food, what will I have? Every one of us makes decisions every day. There are decisions that we make that we don't even realize that we're making. We make decisions about where we're going to live. We make decisions about who we're going to fall in love with and who we're going to marry. We make decisions about what jobs we're going to take and what schools we're going to go to. We make decisions about what kind of cars we're going to buy, what kind of gasoline we're going to put in those cars. We make decisions all the time. Sometimes our decisions lead to very good outcomes, and other times our decisions lead to much more difficult outcomes. I believe that the Bible tells us that God works all things for good for those who love him. And that's a very difficult teaching for us because it's this, do we either have this free will or is God ultimately in control? And so for our modern Western mind, it's an either or. Either we have free will or God is in control. But that's only a dilemma for us in this century and in this time. Because when the Bible writers were writing, they understood that, yes, we have free will, but God is still ultimately in control. Yes, desires and plans of our hearts, but God's will is what ultimately comes to fruition. And there is something about how even all of the decisions that you make, they are your decisions. God didn't make us robots. God didn't make us just people who are going to do whatever he wants. But it is through our decisions that God's will can still be uh, come, come to fruition. God is so powerful that he doesn't have to control our every single decision. But the power of God is that he can work through even the worst of our decisions, and his will can still be done. We may not always understand it, and we may not always like it, and we may not always be ready for it, but God is willing the very best for you. And Easter and this weekend, Resurrection Sunday, it is a reminder that even the darkest powers, that even the worst things in human history cannot separate you from the love of God. Things we do will separate us from each other. Relationships will be broken. Careers will be lost. Jobs will be lost. Friendships will be lost. We live in a world of decay and of fallenness. We live in a world where it's hard to trust. We live in a world of pain and suffering. And somehow along the way in life, we become convinced that that, is on, that that is the only way that life is. But what we find in the stories of the Bible, and what we find specifically in the story of God's death and his resurrection, is that even the worst things in life will never separate you from the love of God. If you're a parent and you've had children, you know that even on their worst days, we love them still. They may drive us nuts, and we may feel like we're about to lose our mind, but it's, it's funny how it's when they're their worst and our heart is broken that we realize how much we truly love them. 
And if we as human beings who are imperfect as we are and filled with flaws can love that much, can you imagine how much love God has for us today? And so if you have a red Bible in front of you, I just invite you to open up to Revelation chapter 3. And, and for those of you who may not know where that is, if you just go to page 869. So Revelation is the last book that closes up the, our, our scriptures. Page 869, Revelation 3, verse 20. And there is this scene that is being portrayed. The writer of the book of Revelation has, has talked about six different churches that serve as six perhaps different time frames in earth's history. It talks about six different personalities of people, of believers. Sorry, it's not seven. Seven. And he ends with this invitation. And he says this, verse 20. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and be with him. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on this throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And this morning is an invitation. Perhaps it's an invitation for those of you who perhaps have never wanted or, or who have felt God sensing you or sensing that God is pursuing you. God is pursuing all of us. We're just not always open and aware. This morning and this weekend is an invitation for you. God is saying, stand at the door. I am knocking. And God isn't going anywhere. This morning, God is inviting you to come to him. Because he will not stop pursuing you. He will not stop pursuing The room grew still as she made her way to Jesus. She stumbles through the tears that make her blind. She felt such pain. Some spoke in anger, heard folks whisper, there's no place here for her kind. Still on she came Through the shame that flushed her face Until at last she knelt before his feet And though she spoke no words Everything she said was heard As she poured her love for the Master from her box of alabaster 
And I've come to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair. You weren't there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arm around me. And you don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. I can't forget the way life used to be. I was a prisoner to the sin that had me bound. I spent my days Poured my life without measure into a little treasure box I thought I'd found. Till on that day when Jesus came to me and healed my soul with the wonders of his touch. So now I'm giving back to him all the praise he's worthy of. I've been forgiven and that's why I love him so much. I've come to pour my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair, my hair. You weren't there the night Jesus found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arms around me. And you don't know the cost of the oil. Oh, you don't know the cost of my praise. You don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. Jesus is kind to everybody, and he especially loves kids. He always takes time to listen to what they say, and he blesses them. 
called a small child over to him and had him stand among them. And he said, Unless you change and become like one of these children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And any of you who welcomes a little child in my name is welcoming and accepting me. Let them come, let them come. Let the children come to me. I have time, I have time, said the Savior tenderly. Let them come, let them come, please don't send them away. I have time, let them come, let them stay. Let them come, let them come. Let the children come to me. I have time, I have time, said the Savior tenderly. Let them come, let them come, please don't send them away. I have time, let them come, let them stay. Let them come, let them Come, let them come unto me. I don't know if you've ever experienced that feeling that when you pray, you wonder in your soul, is God even there? How many of us have ever prayed or lamented or mourned towards God and felt, where is he when I need him? C.S. Lewis, um, he wrote in in his book, A Grief Observed, uh, and he writes about pain and loss and suffering. He he married a woman um, when she was already diagnosed with cancer, and in, in a great show of love, faith, and dedication, he married her in a hospital bed even though he knew that she, her life was going to be extremely short. Because whenever we get married to someone, we, we do so with the understanding that one of us is going to live the other person. And if you've ever had that conversation with, with a wife or a husband, it usually goes like this, I hope I die before you because I could never imagine life without you. I know it's morbid talk. <laughs> but that's the kind of conversations that we have with spouses, because we enter knowing. And he, and he recalls that when he comes to God in this moment of his deepest grief after she's passed away, 
he, he says, I come to God and come to try to elevate myself to the presence of God in heaven, right? He's using metaphorical language. Only to find the shut door of heaven. And it wasn't that God wasn't present. It was that in his pain, in his grief, and in his suffering, he couldn't be open to this presence. But the truth is, is that God is always there. This weekend and this story of Jesus going to Golgotha and going to the cross was one where he walked alone, where even he didn't feel the presence of the Father. It wasn't that God had pulled away from him, and it wasn't that God was upset, but it was this very real human feeling that sometimes we are all alone. But there's a reason, I think, oftentimes that we feel that way. Because the Bible doesn't teach us that God will separate himself from us. The Bible doesn't teach us that when you're bad today, that God's going to not be there for you, but rather it is our very own inclinations to move away from God. So again, if you have your red Bibles, I know the writing is really small, but bear with us. If you look at Isaiah 59, so that's page 527. Isaiah 59, verse 2, and this is the reason that I believe the Bible teaches us why it feels like God is distant. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Isaiah, a prophet who speaks on behalf of God towards the people, he says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is God's ear too dull to hear. So he's saying, look, God is ready. God is listening. It's not that he has, you know, sometimes when we're, we're talking to wives or husbands or friends and you're just listening, but you're not really listening. God's not like that. God is listening to the every word that you are saying because he loves you so. And that's just not, that's not just church language. It's the truth of God's character. The Bible says that God is love and a God of love is always going to do the very best for his children. Verse 2 says this, and here's the reason where the disconnection happens between God and ourselves. But your iniquities or your sins or your, your um, shortcomings have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And what he's saying here isn't that because you've sinned, God has turned away. It's that our sinfulness and our things that we do is what makes us turn our back towards God, because he begins by saying, God's always there, God's always listening, but it's what we do in our lives where we turn away from God. And if you go down to verse 10, the little number 10 near the bottom of that column, he, he says, like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, when it's brightest, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears, and we mourn mournfully like doves. Verse 12, our offenses are many in your sight, God, and our sins, they testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. So it isn't that God is pulling away from us. It's so often that it is our mistakes, our shortcomings, our sins, our iniquities that make us turn away from the God who loves us. Because if you notice in your everyday relationships, it is oftentimes the things that you do against the other person, the shame that comes upon you that you turn away from them. But there is still hope. All hope is not 
lost. And if you turn your page to the next page, it's Isaiah 61, page 529. Isaiah 61, verse 10, says this. Right? So he's like painting this picture of gloom, like it's all our faults. <laughs> it's your mistakes. But then he paints this picture of God's grace. He says, I delight greatly in the Lord, and my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. And he has arrayed or placed on me a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with jewels. So even in our deepest, darkest moments, even when we feel like we are unlovable by God, it is even in those moments where God covers you with his garment of righteousness and salvation. And as you look in the mirror of your life, may you get a glimpse of what Jesus sees in you, a son and a daughter of God. Walking on the road to Jerusalem The time had come to sacrifice again My two small sons, they walked beside me on the road The reason they had come was to watch the Lamb Daddy, Daddy, what will we see there? There's just so much that we don't understand So I told them of Moses and Father Abraham And I said, dear children, watch the Lamb There will be so many in Jerusalem today We must be sure the Lamb doesn't run away. And I told them of Moses and Father Abraham. And I said, dear children, watch the Lamb. When we reached the city, I knew something must be wrong There were no joyful worshipers No joyful worship songs I stood there with my children In the midst of angry men And then I heard the crowd cry out Crucify him We tried to leave the city, but we could not get away. Forced to play in this drama, a part I did not wish to play. And why upon this day were men condemned to die? Why were we standing there where they would soon pass by?
I looked and said, even now they come. The first one cried for mercy. The people gave him none. The second one was violent, and he was arrogant and loud. I still can hear his angry voice screaming at the crowd. Then someone said, There's Jesus. I scarce believe my eyes. A man so badly beaten that he barely looked alive. And blood poured down his body from the thorns upon his brow. Running down the cross and falling to the ground. I watched him as he struggled. I watched him when he fell. The cross came down upon his back. The crowd began to yell. In that moment, I felt such agony. In that moment, I felt such loss. Then a Roman soldier grabbed my arm and screamed, You carry his cross. At first, I tried to resist him, but his hand reached for his sword. And so I knelt and took the cross from Jesus the Lord. I placed it on my shoulder and started down the street. The blood that he'd been shedding was running down my cheek. They led us to Golgotha. They drove nails deep in his feet and his hands. Yet upon the cross I heard him pray, Father, forgive them. Oh, never have I seen such love in any other eyes. Into thy hands I commend my spirit, he prayed, and then he died. I stood for what seemed like years, I'd lost all sense of time, until I felt two tiny hands holding tight to mine. The children stood there weeping, I heard the oldest say, Father, please forgive us. The lamb ran away. Daddy, daddy, what have we seen here? There's so much that we don't understand. So I took them in my arms, and we turned 
and face the cross. Then I said, dear children, watch the Lamb. le abrían paso a Jesús mas la gente se secaba para ver a quien llevaba aquella cruz por la vía dolorosa que es la vía del dolor como oveja vino Cristo Rey y Señor Y fue Él quien quiso ir por su amor, por ti y por mí. Por la vía dolorosa al Calvario y a The blood that would cleanse the souls of all men made its way to the heart of Jerusalem. Down the Via Dolorosa, called the way of suffering, like a lamb came the Messiah, Christ the King. 
chose to walk that road out of his love for you and me down the Via Dolorosa all the way to Calvary. interesting because every every Saturday I stand up here and I preach the good news that your sins have been forgiven and I preach that Jesus' death on the cross washes away even your darkest sins and yet we still carry with us that feeling and the guilt of the things that we do This basket and these papers are a reminder that we still haven't entered into the age that is to come, which is a world in which God will be with us and all death, decay, pain, and suffering will finally come to an end. And so our sins are a reminder that we are still in constant and desperate need of a Savior. If you've ever been betrayed or hurt, you will know that that pain and the sting of that pain has a tendency to linger for a long time. It's often hardest when you feel like you have to go that road alone. And on this story of Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, we see that the story is that one of his own friends, someone that he loved, One of the twelve disciples sold Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. And we look at the story, and Jesus already knows this is happening. And Jesus goes to this place that Thursday night, and it's a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's there, and he takes a couple of his disciples, and he says, you know, I can't can't be alone. Just come with. And so they go with him, and he says, look, pray. Just pray for me. And then Jesus goes away, and if you have that red Bible in front of you, in page 703, page 703, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is in this garden, it's dark. He's been betrayed, and he knows it. So he brings two of his closest friends because he doesn't want to be alone. And then verse 39, down at the very bottom on the right column, Matthew 26, 39. It says, going a little further, he, Jesus, fell with his face to the ground and If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Perhaps the hardest prayer to pray. He says, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. This is metaphorical language. This cup was understood as this cup of wrath that Jesus had to go through. It was Jesus' moment of, of, of going through the fire. 
It was Jesus going into this experience that he knew wasn't going to be easy and in fact was probably excruciatingly painful. Because I don't believe that Jesus used his God senses or his God power to get through the pain of crucifixion. Because if he does that, then it kind of erases it. If he does it just as God, then it's like, well, he numbs all of his senses. He just does. Then he's just going through the motions. But rather, the reason we have the story in the Bible is because it teaches us what a real experience of suffering and pain looks like. And it teaches us how, in those moments of pain and suffering, we can follow the way of Jesus. He says, Father, if there's any way for this to just pass before me, please let that happen. But not my will. Let it be your will. And then if you turn your page over, the very top of the page, verse 42, it says, He went away a second time. Because his, his friends, who he brought to be with him, fell asleep. He comes to them, he says, Dude, please wake up. Please pray. And then verse 42, he says, He went away a second time, and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, again, unless I go through this, May your will be done. He says he came back a third time to his disciples, a second time, and he's like, can you guys please just wake up? Like, I need your help. I don't want to be alone. And verse 44 says, he left them and time. He prayed the third time saying the same thing. If there's any way for this to happen, any other way, Father, Please let it happen some other way. But may your will be done. So when you find yourself in the midst of times that just don't make sense. Look, I know I've prayed the same prayer day after day after day, sometimes multiple times in a day. And we see that Jesus also does that. But he says, Father, okay, this is what I want, but may your will be done. May your will be done, because we know that if God's will is done, it will always be the best possible way. And he would go on, and I have to tell this story, just a few more minutes, but I have to keep telling the story. Jesus is then arrested. He is taken before the authorities. And not only do his two really close friends not stay by his side, he also knew that the guy who would, in a sense, be one of the main leaders of the new church, even he betrays him. And he says, Peter, you will betray me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And so on page 704, Matthew 26, so it's right before the big 27. That's the story. He says, immediately a rooster crowed. And verse 75 Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. Jesus finds himself in a situation that is excruciatingly painful, emotionally, spiritually, and ultimately physically would be painful. He prays that there would be some other way that this would happen, but he ultimately resigns himself to to God's will and says, whatever your will is, I will go that way, whether I understand it or like it. His two best friends totally were not there for him. Then the other guy he thought he could rely on, the strong guy, the guy that doesn't cry, the guy that's like on fire and he's just on fire for God. And he's like, God, you know, the guy that tries to cut off one of the Romans. Like, so when the Romans come to, to arrest Jesus, this guy like probably breaks out his sword. 
and, and he tries to fight these this like Ro- Roman soldiers. A disciple, a fisherman, tries to fight a soldier. So he was that guy that couldn't back down from a fight. The guy that everyone looked to and said, if we don't have faith, if we don't believe, he will believe for us. And he is the same guy that drops the ball and he disowns Jesus three times. So the people that Jesus could count on were all falling one by one. And so to add insult to injury... If you go to the next page, 705, when Jesus is before the Roman soldier, so it's chapter 27, and on the very last column on the right, verse 28 at the top of the page, the soldier stripped Jesus, him, and put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And they had mocked him. They took him. They took off his robe, put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. It couldn't get any worse. And when you go down to verse 45, it says from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi. Lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've ever been in a difficult situation, and and what happens for me when I experience these moments, I often will go to the scriptures and I will will read and reread and reread certain passages that bring comfort, that bring truth. And Jesus was doing the same thing at this moment of his hanging on the cross. He says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Not just because of the pain, but because he was quoting the promise of Psalm 22. Because even in the darkest of Jesus' hour, even though Jesus knew that he could be resurrected, he still has to die the death as a human. 100% human, 100% God, beyond our understanding, and that's probably how we should like it. Because if we could understand it, then we could manipulate it. In his greatest time of need, even Jesus quotes Scripture because he finds strength through the words that are written in Scripture. So when you face adversity, when you face pain and suffering and betrayal, we can follow the way of Jesus and say, may your will be done. And I would add, and may you align my will to your will. May it be done as you want it to be. And then you can go to the scriptures, to the Psalms. If you need help, I will give you Psalms that will work, things that have worked for me. Because there is power in the inspired word. God has forgiven even your darkest sins. Even your deepest shame is covered. the poor and powerless, and all the lost and lonely, and all the thieves will come confess, and know that you are holy, we'll know that you are holy, oh, See
It isn't just a fairy tale that we tell. It's not just a part of our religious faith. It's not just something we hope for. The fact that Jesus was resurrected is a belief that we hold and that it happened in real life. It wasn't just a story of people that were so sad and depressed and disillusioned that they made it up. But we believe and we confess that it is true. That because Jesus is risen, your sins are also forgiven. That who you are is exactly who God wants you to be. And that who you are is okay. It is in the resurrection of Jesus that God begins a new way of being in the world. God does the impossible in resurrecting Christ from the dead, and we still believe, we still affirm, and we still confess that God can do the impossible and does indeed do the impossible today. Talk to someone whose marriage was broken but has been healed. Talk to someone who has been addicted to a substance and now is no longer addicted 
talk to someone who has gone back to these, this thing or that thing, to unhealthy things, and has been able to have victory over that. That is resurrection today. Resurrection is that you have a new lease on life. You have a new beginning. And it is also the painful reminder that although Friday when Jesus is crucified is painful and it hurts and no one likes it and we try to look for any way out of that darkness and that pain, that although Friday is here, Sunday is coming. That although we feel like it is hopeless and we are powerless and there is nothing we can do on Friday, but Sunday morning is coming and on that morning everything in human history changes. It is a reminder that this God is still doing impossible and amazing things for us. It is a reminder that God is still the one who wills his very best for you. And sometimes it is us getting in the way of what God is trying to do for us. I believe that God lets us make choices. We make mistakes. And God's like, fine, you just, if you're going to learn the hard way, then you're going to learn the hard way. But I'm going to get you to where I need you to go. And it is our job as a community of faith that affirms this truth, that we must live in such a way in our relationships at work, in our relationships at home with our husbands and wives and with our children, with the relationships that we have in churches, the relationships that we enter into in all aspects of our life, that we must live as resurrected beings where we know that God has forgiven, God has given the assurance of salvation, and because of that, we get to live in a new kind of life. Jesus says that when, or the Bible says rather, Paul says that when we come out of the baptismal waters, these waters where we make this public declaration, that we believe that what Jesus has done is true. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we enter into this baptism, when we immerse ourselves, what we are saying is we are being, we are being buried with Christ on that Friday or Saturday. And when we come out of the waters, it is in this resurrection of Jesus where we can now live in the newness of life. And we can't keep going on like we were before. Yes, you have to get rid of your sins. You know those things that are getting in the way of you having a deeper relationship with God. No one has to tell you what they are. Husbands, you don't have to tell your wife, and wives, you don't have to tell your husbands because they already know it. We know the things that we have to die to, things that have to be dead in our lives. But the truth is only God can give you the power to overcome those things. You're married, God has given you a wife and a husband to help. If you're not married, God has given you people in your life, friends, um, people who are older than you, parents who can help. You are never alone, even when you feel like you are alone. The reason we make such a big deal about this weekend isn't just because every other Christian church is doing something on Easter. But it's because we affirm the truth that Jesus is risen, and because of that, everything is different now. Yes, that's moment to celebrate. That should be the, we should celebrate louder for the fact that he is risen than we do when our sports teams win a game. Because no one remembers the next year anyway. But the fact that Jesus wins and conquers death, we take that, the Bible says, we take that with us every day in these jars of clay. 
we carry the death of Christ so that we can also carry the resurrection of Christ everywhere we go. And that is what changes everything. That is what gives you the power to live, as the Bible says, as more than conquerors. Remember, Jesus suffered so much. And he didn't give up on you when they were hitting him, when they put a crown of thorns on his head, when they stabbed him in the side. I mean, we, it hurts when we have a paper, paper cut for days. But Jesus, with all of the arrows of the devil to get him to come off that cross, Jesus didn't give up on you then, and he's not going to give up on you now. And that gives us the greatest hope in this world, because we know that we now live to the beat of a different drummer. We know how the story ends, and we believe that a God that is good like this will ultimately take us into eternity to spend a lifetime with him. Our invitation is that sometimes it's in the pain and sadness of our situations that God speaks the clearest. May you open yourself up to the presence of God. Gates and doors were barred and all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness and rose at every sound, half in hopeless sorrow and half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. Just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall gate began to rattle and a voice began to call I hurried to the window and looked down into the street expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers feet there was no one there but Mary so I went down to let her in John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been She said they moved him in the night And none of us knows where The stone's been rolled away And now his body isn't there We both ran through the garden Then John ran on ahead We found the stone in the empty tomb Just the way that Mary said But the winding sheet they'd wrapped him in Was just an empty shell how or where they'd taken him was more than I could tell. Well, something strange had happened there, but what I didn't know. John believed a miracle, but I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high, because I'd seen them crucify him. And I saw him die Back inside the house again The guilt and anguish came Everything I'd promised him Just added to my shame 
When at last it came to choices, I denied I knew his name. And even if he was alive, it just wouldn't be the same. Suddenly the air was filled with strange and sweet perfume. Light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room. Then Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide. And I fell down on my knees and just clung to him and cried. Raised me to my feet and as I looked into his eyes, Love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies. Hilt in my confusion disappeared in sweet release. Every fear I'd ever had just melted into peace. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. He's we kind of begin to draw this to a close. I just want to extend the invitation that Jesus extended thousands of years ago. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened. And he says, I will give you rest. I will give your souls rest. He says, come to me, all who are hungry and who are thirsty, and I will satisfy even the deepest yearnings of your soul." And so this morning, I would be remiss if I didn't extend that invitation now. If perhaps you have been a Christian your whole life and you've been going through the motions, but you really feel like you have that life-saving relationship with Christ, I just invite you to open your heart now. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but just right there where you're sitting, I invite you to open your heart, and I believe God sees that. Maybe you, you haven't ever really been introduced to Jesus but you want to be open to this, this message and this power of this Christ, I invite you to open your heart. Maybe you've been a good, mature Christian, someone who's been a leader in the church, but you felt like something is missing. I want to pray for you now. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we affirm 
and confess to be true. That what we read in Scripture is that you are the God who is a God of second chances, of third chances, of infinity chances. And I pray now for that person who is here, Lord, who is opening their heart to you now, that all of this relentless pursuing, that they are opening their heart now, and I pray, Father, that you would enter into them in such a way that everything would change for them as it did that day when Jesus was resurrected. May you give them new life. May you give them new hope. May you allow them to follow your will. That you would bring the right people around them to help them walk this path. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And if you are one of those people, I invite you to talk to me after church, and we would love to connect you with someone who, is, who has walked that path and is walking that path to be able to help you to come to this life-changing, life-saving relationship with Jesus.